Visiting our younger selves was a disaster last time. Why do you think it'll work this time? Our season two selves are much older, much wiser. They would be much more reasonable to deal with. Hey guys, it's us again. Don't shoot. What the? You see this older angel? Them back. Hey, what? Pardon me? Forget about them. We've got season two to tackle. Now, Nessie would be an idea. First episode. No. No. You guys, we have come to tell you that this is not the way to go. Yeah, we're from the future. Stuff's not going great, and it's because of us. What will you have us do then? I think... A new format will work. Each intro will list off at least 30 bullet points about our cryptid to, to entice the listener. Curiosity. Uh, curiosity. To, to listen and have something to look forward to. That is the absolute worst idea I have ever heard. Here. I wrote down a joke about a very thin man. Use this as your intro for every episode. I assure you it's gonna work. Also, forget about Nessie. Make the season two premiere something spectacular like Santa Claus. Oh, and finally, what is up with those voices? Just stop doing them. Toodles. Welcome to my villa! Wait, you have a villa? Yes, and whoa! What's all this? Everyone appears to have been... murdered! Gods! Looks like the work of a mannequin penknife! The work of a copycat intercafic murderer! Welcome to another episode of Cracking Cryptids and Curios. This is Matt, joined once again by Angel. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to ask you about one of your more exciting hobbies, Angel. We talked earlier this season about the impact comedians Michael Winslow and Dave Coulier have had on you. In fact, several years ago, you started to dip your toes into the world of stand-up comedy. There is even a little bit of a throwback in your act to the likes of Andy Kaufman and his alter comedy ego, Tony Clifton. The crass, lounge singer character where people are like, is that Andy? That's not Andy, is it? No, it's Andy. Is it Andy? It fits perfect for you because you love overly convoluted ways of doing things. Now correct me if I am wrong. Your stand-up persona is called Himini Hicket. You come out on stage as a very as a very well-dressed storyteller character in the style of the beloved Jiminy Cricket. You then have this roulette wheel you spin which has variations of different comedi- 
of different comedians on it. And depending on where the wheel stops, that is the set for the night. Those are the jokes that you tell. So for instance, there is one labeled Jim Graffigan, where you impersonate comedian Jim Gaffigan, but all the jokes are related to drafts. One of of my favorites on the character wheel is Andrew Mice Clay, where you tell Andrew Dice Clay jokes, but they're all, of course, mice-related. What was the catalyst for this stand-up routine? How did this all start? As you may well know, I'm very into meta-humor, and it's hard to explain to people what meta-humor is, but it's essentially what I find funny. Like... If the audience is going to see a movie that's billed as a comedy and it's just like a drama, that to me is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, well, how can I translate this into the stand-up profession? I know. I will imitate other comedians, but uh, repurpose the material just slightly with dumb puns. Mm Mm-hmm. That's it. Has, it. has it worked? Are there laughs in the crowd? Or is it just Jiminy Cricket silence? Let me tell you, Crickets. if there's laughs in the crowd, I am doing it wrong. <laughs> so so it is very much in the vein of Andy Kaufman of, you know, trying to be funny by not being funny. Yes, exactly. I mean, if anything, Andy Kaufman copied me. <laughs> How's that work? You know, time. (laughs) Are there any comedians that you are trying hard to incorporate into the act, but they just haven't made it to the the wheel yet? Jim Carrey. Well, well, how come? What's, what's, uh, haven't been able to line it up with some sort of animal yet? That and, um, you know, he he was known as Rubberface. I I can't, I can't pull it off. Uh Uh-huh. Just got to start tugging on those cheeks <laughs> every single night. <laughs> Stretch that skin. Mm-hmm. The the one thing I do love about your show, though, is that each one is different because it all depends on the spin of the character roulette wheel. Where did the wheel idea come from? You know, growing up, I'd always hear on TV shows people talking about Russian roulette, and I'm like, what? what's that? And when I looked it up, I was horrified. I'm like, no, this is this is dangerous. What if we made this into a comedian-style thing? But then I realized having one comedian on a wheel doesn't make sense. So I just had to populate. <laughs> just, <laughs> just spinning a wheel to do exactly what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so All show, to, no purpose. Yeah. Just include a bunch of other comedians. I'm like, oh, this could be something. Mm-hmm. You know, It just grew organically from there. Are there any... Any jokes that come to mind that you want to share with the audience? One of your best? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> they that you got to pay for that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, they got to go course. to the show. They got to go to the show. Yeah. <laughs> Just come watch me live. Mhm. Best of luck. Can't wait till things, you know, get better, things start opening up more so you can get back on stage and everyone can just see the wheel. Yes. I'm working on including a new comedian in the wheel. Besides Jim Carrey, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. Trying to, I'm trying to broaden the the animal thing too, like not just limit it to animals. Mm-hmm. Trying to, um, trying to do something with Bernie Mac, and trying to make it into a food. 
Oh, you going Bernie Big Macs? Hey, <laughs> yeah. it could happen. All food-related jokes <laughs> yep. in the vein of Bernie Mac. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Maybe specifically fast food-related jokes. Yes. <laughs> well, good luck on your on your routine there. Uh, I think that one might be be a little bit rough. <laughs> so. Angel, this is a rare, rare episode. We have such a wild ride that we don't even have time for our usual news article pit stop. Mm -hmm. Now let us set our focus to the strange event that we are exploring this episode. We have to dig deep for this one, Angel. I need you to search far, far deep within yourself. We need someone from the previous seasons to have him crawl out of retirement crawl over the metaphorically broken glass that was his career the formerly disgraced detective angel with the blunder that was the Bassano vase investigation this is his last shot to show the police chief that he has what it takes to wear that badge so dust off that double-billed hat spit clean that magnifying glass and pack that tobacco pipe detective angel is not what this strange event needs, but who it deserves. Are you ready, Gumshoe? Yes, sir. Right, sir. <laughs> God. <laughs> He's, he is ready. <laughs> <laughs> For this week, we are investigating the Hinterkaifeck murders. So previously, we have looked into government projects, dancing fevers, and now one of the most bizarre murders in human history. It seems strangeness has no limitations in this world. Now hold on to your butt, Detective Angel. Not only are we actually traveling back into time to investigate this nefarious murder, but we are going back to Bavaria, Germany. Home to objectively the worst entity we have raided <laughs> thus far, the Wolpertinger. So I have to ask you, Detective what are the three most important tools a detective needs when beginning an investigation? So choose wisely. Your answers will be put in your permanent record for review upon the end of this case. So start with number three. Well, off the top of my head, with no help whatsoever, number three important tool a detective needs is a double-billed hat. <laughs> so you got one. You got tool number three. Oh, God, what's number two, then? I think I already know these answers. A magnifying glass. <laughs> and, uh, God damn it, don't say tobacco pipe as number one. <laughs> number one is a wisecracking sidekick. Oh, okay. So, oh, I don't know how to tell you this, Detective Angel. I'm sorry. The correct answer is that a detective only needs one thing. Cotton Eye Joe's razor, the <laughs> axiom that states for something to have come from somewhere, it must therefore go somewhere. Things not looking good for Detective Angel out of the box. So where did the Hinterkaifeck murders come from? The book Unsolved Murders from Amber Hunt and Emily Thompson from 2020 has a section titled The Bodies in the Barn, which tells us the crime scene setting, Detective Angel. Nearly 100 years ago, 
March 31st in the year 1922, a small, isolated farmstead situated in the beautiful rolling hills and forests between the towns of Ingolstadt and Schrobenhausen in Bavaria, Germany. Our victims are the entire Gruber family. 63-year-old patriarch of the family, Andreas Gruber. 72-year-old Kazilia, wife to Andreas. 35-year-old Victoria Gabriel, their daughter. 7-year-old Kazilia, Victoria's daughter. 2-year-old Joseph, Victoria's son. And the 44-year-old Maria Baumgartner, the family's maid. Unsolved Murders book also states, In the dead of night on March 31st, 1922, someone systematically slaughtered each member of the family one by one and piled their bodies in a barn. So, Detective Angel, you have now arrived on scene. Your carriage brings you out into this isolated farmstead, and you are a little late to the investigation, mainly because you are so out of favor with the chief they don't give you one of those newfangled automobiles to get there. You got left with the carriage that is pulled by two wonky donkeys who have been slow as molasses. You walk already late to the scene into the Hinterkaifeck Hell Barn, as I'm now calling it, and you see underneath some hay and an old door is the pile of bodies, everyone but the maid, Maria Baumgartner, and the two-year-old Joseph. The family all have similar head wounds, no obvious murder weapon is in the area. So what are your initial thoughts of this introduction into the scene, Detective? Well, first of all, I'm thinking, where is the maid and the and the young kid? Mm-hmm. Why aren't they with the rest of the family, right? And how did they all arrive here in this specific spot? Because you said they were piled, right? They are piled yeah. in a pile of hay with a door on top, like a discarded old door that was also placed on top of them. Yeah. The absence of the maid and the son, does that, what does that make you think? Does that make you think that it's, that they could be involved or? That's my first thought, yes. That they were the, the doers, the murderers? Either they, they're involved or they've managed to get away. And mm-hmm. if they did get away, why hasn't anybody told me about this mm-hmm. why isn't anyone out there searching yeah what kind of investigation is this that you're walking <laughs> into detective <laughs> now in a murder like this it is usually one of the family members typically the father or mother in this instance both are dead and their wounds are similar to everyone else's so it wouldn't appear to be some sort of like murder suicide or anything like that with the entire family dead what type of person then becomes your first suspect in something like this the type of person that would have such anger or ill thoughts about the entire family so let's give you then some more background on this one detective some more pieces to the puzzle now andreas gruber the head of the household was not at all a very popular man in the local community according to the unsolved murders book he was considered to be aggressive greedy and because of that people just tended to avoid him you can relate to that angel, right? Uh, absolutely. Especially after my downfall as a detective. <laughs> Victoria was the only child to make it to adulthood. And the book also mentions that it was speculated the other children, but it doesn't mention how many other children there were that had uh, never made it to adulthood. Many of them died because they were not properly looked after. 
Supposedly, Andreas and Kazilia's small children had to stay in the cellar for days, and when you passed by, you could hear the children crying, a neighbor is quoted as saying. So what do you then make of this sort of family treatment or this aura that's already around the family in the community? Well, yeah, they're not painting themselves a, a nice picture already. It's it's not... It, it's, it's harder to get sympathy... From people, when when this these group of people that have been murdered are so uh, distasteful. Yeah, when an atrocity like this happens, it's like it happens to presumably like the worst people in the village, and it's like, well, do we <laughs> no feel so loss. bad? Yeah, that's yeah, it's sort of that that sort of deal going on. The treatment of the the children crying in the basement it sort of reminds me a bit of this article I found about old parenting tips from back in the day. So such as from the 1500s and for about 300 years after, it was suggested that when your baby is teething to lance the child's gums so the teeth could more easily come out. But in reality, it was only causing more and more gum infections that could actually kill the baby. It is a a story as old as time, Angel. <laughs> Parents do stupid things to their children, and it appears that the Grubers were exactly the same as everyone else. So far, nothing too out of the ordinary with this investigation. It is at this point, though, that we start to dip our toes into the strange pool. There was a rumor around town that Andreas was having an incestuous relationship with his 35-year-old daughter, Victoria. And indeed, they were even convicted of incest between the years 1907 and 1910. So at this point, about, what, 13 years prior to this. Because of that relationship, Victoria was sentenced to one month and Andreas to one year in prison. Following that whirlwind of crazy, people began to suspect that Joseph, the youngest in the family, was actually the child of Victoria and Andreas. With what we have learned about in the Melon Heads episode, and the things that we normally cover in this show, my mind instantly went to the Gruber family having like inbred feral children in the cellar who had obscenely large heads based on how they just, you know, plopped them in the cellar to cry all day. How about you? I just, uh, I, I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that for some reason. It didn't come to mind, but it just, uh, Melon had research. It really impacted my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it just adds to this whole thing where the you know why why should we care about these people when they're committing these atrocious acts like mm-hmm. incest and putting their crying children in the cellar all day <laughs> like <laughs> come on people so supposedly Lorenz Schlittenbauer the freaking mayor of the village was also in a romantic relationship with Victoria at the same time that she became pregnant so there was no absolute on who the father of Joseph actually was. So reportedly, Lorenz was trying to pursue a relationship with Victoria, but Andreas, the father, would not allow it. The Unsolved Murders book has a quote from Kresnes Rieger, the Gruber's maid prior to Maria Baumgartner. The maid claims she overheard Andreas telling his daughter that she does not need to marry, because as long as he lives, he is there for this. This alluding that he was the one there to sexually satisfy his daughter. So that is why she did not need a husband. So, whoa, boy, detective, a lot to unpack. Some damning comments from the previous maid, 
Allegedly, Andreas was so angry with Lorenz that at one point he actually chased the man away from the farm with a scythe. So does this interaction between these three people, Lorenz, Victoria, and Andreas, impact the case for you? Yes, I mean, that places Lorenz as the number one suspect. You know, he's being, he's trying to pursue a relationship with Victoria, and Andreas won't have any of it, and he gets chased with a scythe like that would make me <laughs> can you imagine like seeing <laughs> a guy being chased with a scythe <laughs> like my god yeah yeah that would definitely and and, and 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 lorenz you said he was the mayor yeah like you don't you don't treat the, <laughs> no, the mayor treat the mayor this way <laughs> what is this i'm sorry daughter but the mayor is not good enough for you in this town <laughs> And he gets chased away. I, yeah. If I was him, I'm like, well, I'm the mayor. Let's have this family killed. <laughs> oh, oh, so 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 Lorenz is at the top of your list here of mm-hmm. suspect numero mm-hmm. uno. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. This weird love triangle involving the mayor of the village dipped our toes in the strange pool. So why don't we just jump in waist deep? So allegedly, Andreas was complaining to neighbors that some weird things were transpiring at the farm in the months before the mass murder. So six months before the incident is when Kresnez Rieger quit as the maid, and there are claims that the reason she left was because she was hearing strange noises in the attic, including voices, and believed the house to be haunted. Andreas investigated the attic whenever the voices were heard, but no evidence of anyone being up there was ever found. So what do you make of these reported attic disturbances? I'm wondering if maybe they ran out of room in the cellar and started putting no, their children, no, go on. children say, up in the attic. You say that, and the first thing that popped in my mind was the Simpsons episode where Bart's twin brother was like put up in the attic. <laughs> yeah. uh, Bort, or whatever his name was. And he like... Uh, replaces Bart at the end of the episode. Yeah, and of course, Andreas knows about this, so he'll just go up there and be like, I don't see anything, when he clearly does. Because <laughs> he's in on it, right? Yeah. And he doesn't want the, um, Kresnez, the, the the maid, to yeah. to investigate the attic. He's like, I'll, I'll take care of this. I'm going up there. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the patriarch of this house. I will be the one searching the attic for these mysterious yep. footsteps. Yep. Lo and behold, no, but nothing's up there, right? <laughs> I, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah, that puts a whole new spin on what could have been going on in the in the attic if the same person is the one that checks for it each time and they're the ones putting the thing that's making the noise <laughs> up there. Yeah. Andreas found a mysterious newspaper from Munich on a windowsill and even asked the mailman about it, who indicated he did not deliver or leave the newspaper there. This occurred in March of 1922, so the same month the murders occurred. Add to the fact that Munich is over 40 miles away from the farm, and this is another odd occurrence occurring right before the murders. Anything make you pause and think about the out-of-place newspaper? In order to get a newspaper from a place that's 40 miles away, somebody would have to have some sort of motorized vehicle to get there. Um, I'm assuming not many people owned motorized vehicles then, or maybe they did, I don't know. Yeah, and even in this area, it's a very s- small village, really. And the farmstead is sort of off on its own as well. Lorenz, the mayor, is actually, their, I th- believe, their closest neighbor as well. They're still sort of out and isolated. So it's odd, I suppose, unless like the, the person had a horse, too. That was still a very common yeah. mode of transportation. Um, I mean, Lorenz has the means maybe not himself but 
he has connections. Maybe there's somebody in Munich that, you know, specializes in some kind of thing. They came by, they had a Munich newspaper because they're so chill about things, scoped the area out, and they're like, all right, we can do this. <laughs> and then two days later, like, oh, crap, I left the newspaper <laughs> at the house. Yeah. Other odd occurrences, including Andreas finding footsteps in the snow leading from the forest to a door with a broken lock in the farm's machine room and none leading back, which occurred just days prior to the murder. And interestingly enough, a key to the house had also vanished months before the murders occurred. So Andreas was still telling neighbors of the footsteps in his attic days before the murder. Finally, according to a school friend of Victoria's daughter, Kazilia, the school friend was told that Victoria had fled the farm the night before the murders after a violent quarrel, presumably with her father, and was found out in the forest. So there are a lot of odd things going on here. Newspapers from other cities, a good distance away, Victoria running into the forest the night before she is killed, footprints to unlocked doors, footsteps in the attic with no one presumably there, and... I mean, this is becoming a true fear of mine, Detective Angel. Are there people living within the walls of this house? Uh, most definitely, yes. <laughs> That's uh, it's happening. People, <laughs> people live in people's walls. <laughs> That's a thing that happens. Yeah. What do your detective senses say about this lead up to the murder so far? Even specifically, like this whole incident with Victoria, like fleeing the farm the night before. Yeah. Why? Why would she flee? Mm-hmm. Is it like an altercation? Does, did it say where um, you said the key a key was missing months before? Did it say how many months? It was almost the same time that Kresnez, the previous maid, uh, abruptly quit because mm-hmm. she was afraid of the whatever was going on in the attic. It was a, around the same time that Andreas found out that a key was missing. I think a lot of the strange things like footprints leading to a unlocked was it unlocked or locked door footprints leading up to the machine room door had a broken lock on it oh, so okay. it was already permanently yeah. unlocked so it seems to me that somebody was doing something maybe not living in the walls but maybe they were trying to orchestrate the whole thing prepping certain things getting it all right oh so yeah like maybe like a dry run of like mm-hmm. a, just seeing time-wise how quickly they could get if they were coming from the forest how long it would take to get to the house unnoticed Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. various speed stuff like that yeah no one seemed to like andreas that seems to be a pretty clear fact so far he was in an incestuous relationship with his daughter he didn't want her to be with anyone else weird things going on around the farm at first as i was researching this i was like were the noises just being imagined by andreas was he just so paranoid that he was imagining someone was stalking the farm imagining footprints in the snow but the former maid also says that she heard the noises so there is third party like acknowledgement of what was going on does like that acknowledgement from the previous maid impact your thoughts on what's going on at all it certainly does in a negative sort of like she's involved in it um i I, i'm starting to think so Mm -hmm. (laughs) so this then leads us to the night of march 31st as april 1st rolled around and the Grubers seemed to have vanished into oblivion. Young Kazilia was due in school and did not appear. The family missed church services on Sunday, and the most notable absence of them all was Victoria as she sang in the church choir. 
So Tuesday then rolls around, and some of the townsfolk were like, uh, what the hell's going on at the Grubers? So they trek out to the farm and discover all of the doors to the house were locked, and they had to break into the barn that's attached to the house to even gain entry. So the Unsolved Murders book tells us, Daylight penetrating the murky barn illuminated a ghastly sight. The bludgeoned bodies of Andreas, his wife Cassilia, Victoria, and her daughter Cassilia piled up among the hay. The townsfolk were then able to get into the house and found the remaining bodies of Joseph and the maid Maria. All had fatal blows to the head. So now, Detective Angel, you are... The experienced one here. Everything hinges on this investigation. If you don't solve it, your career is over. You may as well be the Dropastone guy and retreat to Japan in exile and shame. So what is the first thing that comes to mind when these townsfolk broke into the barn, found the bodies, and then went into the house and found the other two? I'm becoming highly suspect of a lot of things going on. That's my first thought. And a lot of things that are being told. The first thing that popped into my head of... So there are three townsfolk that appeared to like check up on the family. And broke into the barn to gain entry, find the dead bodies. Contaminated crime scene already mm-hmm. of whatever the hell is going on. Because then you're trusting these three dudes as being the ones that say, Yeah, this is how we found them. It is estimated that the family was killed around 9.30 at night on the 31st of March. However, there is indication that whoever the murderer was actually stayed in the house for a couple of days. There is good, good evidence that the livestock were apparently fed and milked by whoever was there, and it was determined that food such as bread and ham was eaten by the murderer. There is even indication that neighbors had seen smoke from the chimney in the days after the murder, which, in my mind, would indicate no one would suspect anything foul was at play. Things seem to be normal in the household from an outside appearance. So what do you make of this, like, weird, weird, the murderer stayed in the house for, like, four days? Yes, if I believe the, the, the cows were also fed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, fed and milked. milked. So someone was, like, doing the farm chores yeah, they were after taking, killing the family. Taking care of the, the animals on the farm, yeah. I think I'm starting to see everything a little bit clearer now. Mm-hmm. As far as a murder weapon, none was immediately found. It was believed that a mattock, or an agricultural tool shaped like a pickaxe, was used by the murderer. It was not until a year later, when the house was being demolished, that the mattock was found in the attic of the house. So to recap here, detective, we have a not-so-liked, isolated family having incestuous relations. Weird occurrences leading up to the murder... The murderer seemingly living in the house and feeding the livestock for multiple days after killing the family in a crime scene that has been contaminated by the people who found the bodies. And one more thing to add to that detective. One of those townsfolk who went to check on the family, none other than prime suspect numero uno, Lorenz Schlittenbauer, the man who was in a romantic relationship with Victoria, possibly Father Joseph, and whom Andreas at one point chased off his property with a scythe to keep him away from his daughter. It took four days for the bodies to be discovered. The morning after the murders, coffee sellers Hans Shirovsky and Edward Shirovsky went to the farm to place an order, but no one ever answered the door. The gate to the machine house was open, but they did not see anyone on the property and then just left. 
On April 4th, Albert Hoffner went to the farm to repair some machines and was scheduled to be there at that time. After waiting for the family for an hour, he just started working on the machines, finished everything he had to do, and left about five hours later without ever being in contact with anybody or noticing anything was amiss in, in the house. Like I mentioned before, I also saw statements that between the 31st of March and April 4th, there was smoke coming from the chimney, indicating somebody was inside the house. Another person also reported seeing shadowy figures near the property, but never investigated it or told anyone about it at the time. They just figured it was maybe one of the family members just outside the house. Here are the final weird things I want to bring to the evidence table for you, detective. To make this crime scene even worse, multiple bodies were moved. Items were moved, and people even that were investigating cooked and ate meals in the kitchen during the <laughs> initial investigation. After the bodies were found, physician Johann Baptiste Amuller performed the autopsies in the goddamn barn. So the skulls of the victims were removed and sent to Munich for further study, and were even presented to a clairvoyant who had claimed that two people had committed the murders. Eventually, years later, in the chaos of World War II, the heads were lost. Do you trust the clairvoyant detective? Were there two people involved in this murder as the murderers? The clairvoyant, despite being a fraud, <laughs> might be onto something. Are they involved? <laughs> well, Is it go that deep? Listen, I need to know the names of these investigators that are cooking food. I, I need to know the name of the clairvoyant, I... where they came from, how many of these people are from out of town, and how many of them are in the from the same area. What the hell's going on with the people investigating? Just like, oh, this one's a this one's a rough scene. I'm I just you know what I need? I need a sandwich. I need a glass of milk. I'm going to go milk the cows quick, and then I'm going to make my sandwich as we continue this investigation in the goddamn crime scene. Like, what was going on in 1922, Germany, where that was okay to do? <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, like I think we said it before, where these people were not well-liked, so I guess it was easier for them to just do that kind of stuff. I mean, I guess another way to look at it, too, is if they didn't like the, the people that were killed, were they even giving it their all initially to even discover what was going on? Like, what, mm -hmm. is it sort of like this idea that um, they didn't really care that they were dead? So mm -hmm. they're just like, okay, let's just sort of phone this one in and <laughs> just make it appear like we're, we're doing something. We'll yeah. have... We'll have Johann Baptiste Almuller just cut the heads off in the barn and send them off to Munich. Thought they can look at the heads. <laughs> with that being said, let us now look at where did the murderer or murderers, with the clairvoyant in mind, where did they go? I hope you have Adrian Monk level crime scene investigation skills, Detective Angel. As there have been up to 100 suspects that have been questioned in this investigation. An absolutely insane amount of potential suspects involved in this. I mean, the whole damn town apparently must have been suspects, <laughs> and then some. So let's take a look at some of the most likely, and we shall see if you can solve this cold case from hell. First, we have the man from beyond the grave, the husband of Victoria Gabriel, Carl Gabriel. So wrap your head around this. Carl Gabriel was apparently killed 
in Ars, France in a shell attack during World War I, but his body was never found. The theory is that Carl survived, but for some reason never returned home to Victoria, just abandoned his wife and her family. Eventually, Carl apparently got word of the incestuous relationship between Victoria and her father, which caused him to go berserk and kill the entire family. What do you think of this detective? It doesn't... What is a zombie? I don't get it. I don't understand where where they would mm -hmm. even get this idea from. The idea is that Carl actually did not die in that shell attack and that he he survived it and just decided. There's proof of this. uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So after the shell attack, he survived and he decided just not to return back to his previous life. He just uh, moved on after World War One. I'm I'm reminded of a Jim Carrey movie. I oh, can't for your for your skin. <laughs> I can't remember the name at the moment, but it's it's like a serious film, in which he loses his memory and he starts a new life as a totally different person. Yeah, Sunshine of the Eternal Mind or something like that. No, no, it's not that one. That it's, one. No, it's a it's different like memory he, one. <laughs> yeah, like he gets he gets amnesia. And he, oh, he, um, and he just majestic. T- it's majestic. Yes, yes, that one. Mm. And I just imagine this is what happened to this guy, Carl. And then suddenly he got his memory back. He's like, "Oh, I have a family." <laughs> uh, yeah, because in that movie, didn't he like? Didn't they think he was a world war like a a vet they, that had returned from war or something? I don't remember I, much. I, remember. I just remembered that he, he there, <laughs> there was, was a, a movie theater. <laughs> that he was in in court, and they were like. <laughs> Trying to prove that he was a communist or something. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> yeah. And he was a Hollywood like script writer or something. He drove off a cliff. I remember mm-hmm. now, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> um, <laughs> supposedly, some of the things that I saw to as evidence to support this is that apparently in like northern France, there was this soldier that had like other soldiers claimed to have met this soldier that like. N- said he was carl or something really weird like that so it was all like complete like third person hearsay stories of like carl still being alive i don't think that's the case i think there's actually proof that he died there's records of his death from from the country so i don't i don't think he's a, a valid contender but a lot of people do and i also don't like that like apparently he was if he was the killer and survived that attack he he was okay enough with moving on with his life but then once he heard somehow hears of that his wife was in an incestuous relationship, just decides like, now's the time to go back and I'm going to kill her. Like, what is what? I'm going to kill the entire family, including the maid. <laughs> it makes no sense for him to be the the suspect, I don't think, the prime suspect. So, And not only that, but it's it's. I think it's a bit convenient. He he's supposedly dead. He comes out of nowhere, mm-hmm. he kills his family, and then he disappears and again. And then disappears again in the night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, 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 no. Next is Mr. Mayor himself, Lorenz Schlittenbauer. As I stated, Lorenz was supposedly in a romantic relationship with Victoria, but Andreas would not allow it to continue. The motive is that as an act of revenge, so here's our first one with a uh, maybe a true motive, he was the, the one who killed the entire family as an act of revenge. Lorenz was one of three men who found the bodies, and when they could not enter the house, they broke into the barn. So... It is said that immediately after finding the bodies in the barn from hell, Lorenz 
unlocked the front door with a key and entered the house alone. Was this the missing key from months beforehand? Hmm. When asked by the other two men why he went inside the house alone, Lorenz claimed he went to look for his son, Joseph. So what do you make of this possible suspect? Well, it, it was that last line that made me think, why would he kill his entire family if he believed that Joseph was his son? He wouldn't have killed him. He would have gotten him out of there. He might have the motive, but I don't think he would have gone ahead and killed his son, his own son, or uh, who he believed to be his son. Yeah, and like he's even at that point admitting that he believed that it was his son. Yeah. As far as how he has a key to enter, the way that I look at it is if he was in a romantic relationship with Victoria, it's possible that he had his own key that Mm -hmm. Andreas just did not know about. It was not the one that went missing. It was just another separate key. The reason that he didn't use it immediately to get in the house was because there would have been no, you know, wouldn't jump to the conclusion that the entire family was murdered. So he didn't Mm -hmm. want to just barge in the front door. That could make him look even worse if he did that. Like, be like, well, then why you got a key to this house, Lorenz? You don't live Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, I think on the surface level, it looks very, very suspicious, but I don't don't particularly think that it was Lorenz. And then another thing to add to that was at this point, he had actually remarried or had married somebody else. So he had pretty much moved on from this lack of being able to be in a relationship with Victoria. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Next are the Gump brothers. So believe it or not, Crescentia Mayer, sister of Adolf and Anton Gump, claimed on her deathbed that her brothers were the ones who murdered the family. So this was in 1951, well after the murders that she made this claim. Adolf was already dead at that point, and Anton was brought into custody, but there was no evidence at all that he was the killer. The motive was that they were so disgusted by the incestuous relationship that they killed the entire family. So Crescentia claimed that her brother Adolf was also in a sexual relationship with Victoria. And when he <laughs> learned of the relations between Andreas and Victoria, it pushed him over the edge. And he got his brother to go there. And together, maybe like the clairvoyant said, they were the two that did it. So do you believe the deathbed confession? I believe there's a truth to it. Really? Yes. I am seeing it so much clearer now. Uh-huh. <laughs> do you want to wait to elaborate on that? Yes. Okay. I guess this one's so hard for me because it's like, why would she lie about this? Unless it was like she hated her brothers so much. She's like, as my final act, I'm going <laughs> to really just try to screw your life over or something like that. But maybe I, maybe I, she didn't want to have any regrets on her deathbed. Yeah, but but I, if it was a lie, that's the way I was looking at it. If she was just lying and it wasn't her brother's, oh. she was just saying like, eh, screw you, Anton. <laughs> uh, you're going to get the police <laughs> yeah. after you now. But yeah, I, I don't know. The the deathbed one is hard for me to say like, was it true? Was it, was it not? I don't know. But then the hard part too is there's no evidence that they did it. Mm-hmm. And if we believe uh, uh, this woman, then then also we have to believe that Victoria is a bit of a skank. Oh, I know. I mean, <laughs> at this point, who wasn't with Victoria? I mean, this is like turning into Clue, but with like 
a sexual side quest. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> so weird. The next few that I have, they seem to have, some of them, a singular motive of wanting the Gruber's family's money. So, however, there was no indication at all that any money or possessions were stolen from the house. So, pretty much all that was done besides the murder and then, like, eating some of their food and and milking the cows, like, nothing seemed to have vanished from the house. There seems to be no other ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. So, Peter Weber, who spoke with his friend Joseph Betts, and Betts testified hearing Weber suggesting killing the Gerbers to get their money at a hearing. The whole thing is that Peter Weber and Joseph, I think, worked as farmhands. Like, they're involved and, and knew the property. And Peter sort of, he's, he said to Betts that it would be really cool. Like, the Grubers, they have a lot of money. It would be really cool if we could have that money, basically. And Joseph was like, oh, what the hell are you talking about here? This isn't the conversation I want to have. And then Peter never brought it up again. Mm-hmm. But there's also no evidence that Peter Weber was the one that did it. So another is Joseph Bartel a serial robber who escaped from a mental asylum and three years earlier had robbed another family 13 miles away from the farm. So the idea presented in the book Unsolved Murders is that only a madman like Yosef would have stayed around all the dead bodies, living in the house for several days, milking the cows, doing the chores. It would take a madman to do that. What do you think about that one? I think there's some truth to it. That it could be... Joseph Bartel, yeah, the ma- the madman, the asylum madman. Mad mm-hmm. When I was researching this and I read that, the first thing that popped into my mind was the movie Trolls Two, <laughs> with the shopkeeper who yeah. was like a guy that left an insane asylum and just showed up on set, and they're like, "Do you want to be the shopkeeper?" He's like, "Okay," <laughs> and he was just a crazy guy. Yeah. So, with that being said, detective, we have some prime suspects. But maybe your detective eyes have seen something that no one else has. So who did it? I've received some extra evidence. Well, maybe not evidence, but I don't know if you're aware of Carl S. and Andreas S. Mm-mm. In 1971, a woman named Therese T. wrote a letter citing an event in her youth. At the age of 12, she witnessed her mother receiving a visit from the mother of the brother's Carl and Andreas S. The woman claimed that her sons from Saddleburg were the two murderers of Hinter Kaifek. The mother said Andreas regretted that he lost his penknife in the course of the conversation. Mm. In fact, when the farm was demolished in 1923, a pocket knife was found that could not be clearly assigned to anyone. However, the knife could have easily belonged to one of the murder victims. This track was followed without result. It also says Krizenz Rieger, the former maid of Hinter Kaifek, was certain that she had already seen the penknife in the yard during her service. Oh, I thought of something there. <laughs> Have you heard of the Bischler brothers and George Siegel? I remember them briefly. I remember there was a reason I didn't include them as good suspects. So, <laughs> so guess who brings them up as the suspects? <gasps> The former, uh, maid. <laughs> the former maid suspected the brothers, Anton and Carl Bischler, to have committed the murders. Okay. And then there's the Thaler brothers. They were also suspected, according to a statement by the former maid, Krezenz mm-hmm. Rieger. What is going on here? Why is everyone believing her? Like, why, why is she, like, like the 
thoroughbred of trustworthiness here in Why this. Why indeed? I think we need to take a good look at what's going on here. So first of all, you had mentioned a while back uh, during your research, you were like, was Andreas? Um, was he just paranoid? Uber, yeah. Was he paranoid? He heard the voices and uh, the sounds and then uh, the, the maid corroborated it. But from what I can tell, she's the first one to mention that she hears sounds in the attic. Mm-hmm. And then it's not until after that Andreas starts hearing things. I'm wondering oh, if yeah. she's just planting seeds mm-hmm. and doing the long con (laughs) doing the long con yes here's what i have in the early 2000s well from between 1999 and 2009 there's a man named thierry tilly uh i believe they're this is all french this happened in france thierry tilly was an an it guy of sorts and guillaine bedrines was looking for someone to update her school's computer system have you heard of this so far no <laughs> she mistakenly confessed some private information to Thierry Thilly. And it was it was it was essentially um things like uh, oh her husband was depressed and her son uh, something about her son. But it was like information you don't tell a stranger. This guy Thierry was charismatic. He's a charismatic dude. And he <laughs> was introduced to this family by a, a friend, a family friend. So cuz they just need to to update the computer system. And by the way, this family, the Vedrines, they are aristocrats, French aristocrats. So they are loaded. Of course. <laughs> French aristocrats. Another uh, another joke you add into your stand-up, the aristocrats <laughs> joke. Yeah. It's the aristocrats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So 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 she, Ghislaine and, and Thierry became, become kind of uh, sort of friendly towards each other. And... Her husband, Jean Marchand, suspects they're having an affair. However, what's really going on is uh, one day, Thierry tells the family that they are in serious danger and claim that they were descendants of the Knights Templar and that what very important people are coming after them. And, and he's the only one that can keep them safe. From two, 1999 to uh, t- 2009... About that time period, he was able to convince and brainwash this family to remain isolated inside of their manor. Meanwhile, he would uh, leech money from them. Okay. With, like, threats that the Knights Templar were going to kill him. (laughs) Well, no, the family was supposedly descended from the Knights Templar. So very uh, powerful people were coming after them. Oh, okay. As like retribution yeah. of what their ancestors did. Yeah, he, he yeah he told them um, he would be the one to control everything they did. He told them anything they needed to hear, so that they would m- remain reclusive and give him all the money he asked, so that he can continue keeping them safe. He, I think, he started telling them that he actually worked for the government and he was like a special agent. Oh my of God, sorts. he gaslit the shit out of these people. Yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of uh, a lot of information on this on the internet. There's uh, a, a series on on the tube site that uh, uh. if you want to if you want to <laughs> catch that it's a uh, very interesting stuff my point is that i believe kresnas rieger did something similar to this family and not only to the family but she she is the con of the century 
because nobody suspects a woman and she did this to not only the, the family but to the townsfolk. So she, while working for them as a maid, I believe she convinced them to essentially something similar that uh, Terry did. They made them more isolated mm-hmm. and made them into more uh, this deplorable people. By the time that she's getting ready to quote unquote quit, you know, she hears sounds coming from the attic and kind of, you know, further the paranoia on Andreas's part. That key mysteriously goes missing mm-hmm. around the time she quits. So she leaves them. And she's also heard all these things. She's, you know, very privy to a lot of information going on. That's why she can name all these people as potential suspects. Probably because she's right. They they uh they probably did help in killing. Because here comes the second part of my theory. She was not only doing this to the family, but she was becoming very uh, chummy with the townsfolk. I think she was close to Lorenz because he's the mayor, so he can get things done. And probably also went around town, also convincing people of of maybe possibly helping murder this family because this family is just bad. Like they're committing incest and they're just hateful group of people for whatever reasons. I don't know if you recall the beginning of that Mothman movie where the little boy <laughs> dies, and so they him all the head with the they all smack him to as to unify and and be in solidarity. Um, spoilers for the 2007 film Murder on the Orient Express coming in three, two, one. Perhaps the townsfolk were all in on it and helped murder the family. And they were all guided by the former maid. And she was the one that cared for the family, or at least the, the farm itself. Mm-hmm. That's why mm-hmm. she didn't have a problem doing the chores like milking the cows and feeding them but why like why did she do it because she hated them (laughs) (laughs) i guess that's a good reason i think uh let me see here it says here where she uh when she um suspects the the bishler brothers i don't even know who these people are they just come up with these names yeah it's a bunch of brothers that get implicated (laughs) in, Mm -hmm. in this case it says uh, here, it says um, she thought that Anton and Carl Bischler could have committed the murder together with George Siegel, who had worked at Hinterkaifeck and knew of the family fortune. So maybe I don't know. I think that's the first time the first mention of a fortune I've heard. Yeah, it was weird. Like, apparently it was known that they had money, but mm-hmm. I guess they just kept it in the house. And with the way that you're portraying the suspect, she could very much have known of the money that that was there, yep. where it was, and how it was reported that nothing, n- no money was stolen or like things weren't, no valuable possessions were taken. Who, like, the whole family was killed. Who knows how much money was actually in the house? There's no way. I'm sure he didn't have a ledger that says, I have, you know, 10000 Deutsch marks in my mm-hmm. in my wall or under my bed or something like that it's mm-hmm. they would only they would only know what's left there based on what's actually there if there was if she left a thousand dollars worth of money there they would say well they didn't take anything because there's still a thousand dollars there yeah and not to mention because the townsfolk are going to be involved in this maybe there is like uh a kind of a deal made, you know, you guys get to do whatever you want with this portion that you get to keep, mm-hmm. you know, improve the town or whatever, you know, 
bring in people that are nicer than these folks. Mm hmm. You know. And then, well, and then what ends up happening is they just demolish the house. Yep. That's the grand plan. I solved it, guys. <laughs> uh, allegedly. <laughs> there's no implication that this woman did it. Well, there's also no mention of her outside of anything else. Mm-hmm. Like, she, 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 she implicated these people, and then I can't find any other information on her. Like, she only shows up for this particular thing, and then after that, disappears she's not even listed uh, as a suspect like i mm-hmm. can't find any information that she was a suspect yeah, and i think in a in a real investigation i feel like she'd be a perfect suspect yeah she left she knew the family she left months before around the time when when a a key to get into the house disappeared like if if there are a hundred other suspects why wouldn't this lady be a suspect Mm-hmm. She was like a paragon of uh, respectability, apparently. Yeah, we know where that gets you. <laughs> to not be a suspect. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So anything else to add before we go into the rubric of power? No, that's it. Before we jump into the rubric of power, I do want to say just how weirdly chilling it was to rank a murder. And I absolutely <laughs> hate it. Like the whole th- the whole thing, whole episode's kind of bleak and like dark comedy here. <laughs> it's very <laughs> not normal, but yeah. uh, it is what it is. So uh, how about the first category here? Just the in their shoes scariness of it all. I'm just gonna flat on say I think this one's gonna get a high score mm-hmm. in total. Yeah, I I ranked this a four. I mean, it's not just the getting murdered part. But it's the events leading towards it. You yeah, have the whole buildup. Yeah, you have an incestuous father. You have, um, or, or man of the house, whatever you want to call him. Mm-hmm. You have these weird events, like the noises, whether the, it was yeah. the maid or not, you know. The unknown um, footprints. Mm-hmm, the, the way we're, they're, they're keeping the children in the cellar, the... All that, all the strange events. Uh, you know. The the newspaper, like the random the newspaper <laughs> from Munich. <laughs> yeah. It's just what was that all about? I don't know. <laughs> Victoria was fleeing the night before, mm-hmm. and who find who found her? By the way, like they just found her, and she went back. To yeah, the house. That, that that I didn't see any indication of who found it, and it was just like a another secondhand story told to a school child mm-hmm. uh, that like. Uh, like so i guess can you believe it i don't know if if that's a good source of information the school child Mm -hmm. and i'm on the same page here i gave it a four we we didn't talk about it too much but allegedly the way it went down was that each family member was like lured into the barn one by one Mm -hmm. there's no indication of saying of how that happened but i guess they could tell that they were killed far out enough from each other that that would that's what would indicate what happened like they just well i'm going out to the barn where everyone else is now like so something weird must have happened to get them all to go out at different intervals to the barn so there's a whole another part of that in play too yeah and not only that but i think the former maid fits this exactly she can show up and they're like oh we know her and she could be like, something should be no wrong. threat. Yeah. Meet, meet me at the barn. And they're like, OK. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can't explain why the why the other maid showed up, uh, didn't go to the barn because she doesn't know who she is. Mm-hmm. So she just killed her right then and there. It's like, I'm not going to lure her to the barn. I don't know who mm-hmm. this maid is. 
and the baby the baby's a baby i you know yeah two years old yeah the other thing i saw too that was really weird to me was there were like a lot of reports of like people coming up to the house and like talking to the uh, to the family through the windows Mm -hmm. and like they wouldn't know who they're talking to it was just like a mysterious figure would show up and and talk to them and i think kresnez the old maid was one of the people like i don't know who i'm talking to but she like continued to talk to this shadowy figure like it's just really weird shit going on and like the whole everything about it is just really weird people like that whole attic thing if if she wasn't in on it like what what the hell is going on in the attic why are there footsteps (laughs) in my attic yeah. And, and then I go up there and no one's there. It's because they're living <laughs> my damn walls. <laughs> yeah. So how about believability? I mean, it happened. Yeah. It's not like mm-hmm. it's a, yeah, four. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not the Philadelphia experiment where it's just all like story from a guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Four. And I sort of feel like Jonathan Frakes on Beyond Belief. Like this one happened. <laughs> like this, <laughs> this time. Is true. This is true. <laughs> Not when he says, not this time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then he rides away in a bicycle. Uh, how about the lore and mystique for the Hinterkaifeck murders? I think we just went over it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the whole events leading up to it. Um, just the aura the family itself presents. They, The way they talk about the incestuous relationship, like everyone else was disgusted by it, but they seem to have no problem with it. Like there's no mention of Victoria being against it. It's just like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll sleep with my dad. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole like weird thing going on of like, I guess, not knowing more about Andreas of like control issues or like weird dynamics into that. But yeah, um, it's yeah, it's so like they went to prison for it <laughs> and and what they continued i think i guess yeah that what was it that he said that the, the well the, supposedly that, the former maid that her, she right? was the one that said that quote exactly so mm-hmm. she's uh involved again in these very specific weird sayings of like this is what andrea said to her that's um mm-hmm. you will never be with him because i this is here and it just said it had this in quotes alluding yeah. that this was the like sexual nature to the relationship i i gave it a three for lore mm-hmm. there's like so much going on so many suspects and i even saw a theory about paul mueller who was a mass murderer mm-hmm. in america that possibly could have gone to germany to like continue killing and apparently he was also like a suspect in the Vasilka uh axe murders as well so he's oh like God. has this weird I guess like fixation on like head murders, like <laughs> bludgeoning yeah. people in the head. I don't know. I'm going on holiday. Continue my killing <laughs> no, I'm spree. going to my motherland <laughs> to kill a random family. Makes no sense, but hey, it's a theory. Deathbed confessions are involved here. Mm-hmm. Who wasn't in a sexual relationship with Victoria is a bigger question. I think there was a clairvoyant that studied the severed heads. <laughs> like it's all insane, <laughs> yeah. and and then the and then they get missing. It's like <laughs> they send them to the World War, War, War yeah. Two happens, and the heads go missing. Like was where they kept, I guess, was bombed or something. But then, at some mm-hmm. point, did somebody just find what four severed heads and be like, <laughs> I guess that was World War Two shit, <laughs> casualty of war, <laughs> just their heads. Uh, I mean that. 
has more questions than a lot of the murders. Like, mm-hmm. what happened to the heads? But yeah, uh, I rated it a three point eight five. <laughs> it wasn't quite a four uh, or a three point nine. Danger. I mean, does this need to be said? Danger uh, four. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was at the same exact thing, and uh, this specific category has been sort of an interesting one because pretty much so far the way that I've ranked as far as like scariness, like the in their shoes scariness compared to the danger level has been completely different. Like the yeah. scariness has always been pretty high, but the danger level has been really low. Like for the yeah. situations that we looked at so far, they not many people have like really died or done anything like that. But this one, the whole family was killed. Yeah. And even the maid. So uh, I would suspect that would all be done so that there would be no witnesses. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the first thing that just popped into my mind. And then that there was no killer ever found. Like this is forever will be an unsolved murder there is no way to solve this case i don't believe so and i think that i think even as recently as the 1980s they uh reopened the case or we're still looking into things and then i I feel like i want to say early 2000s like a german police academy also looked into it and they believe they know who did it but don't want to release the name out of like respect for the the families and things like that so yeah, because we know Rieger has had children. <laughs> That's right. I released the name. <laughs> so for danger level, uh, I rated it a four. And how about then the impact on popular culture, though, for this event? This was an interesting thing because, you know, learning about this event that took place and it's so horrifying. And, and it, it sounds like it would make for a good film, but I don't know of any particular movies there's a german one i think well <laughs> i guess i need to learn german <laughs> but i don't know of any particular movies that were either inspired by this like not necessarily um a reenactment of the mm-hmm. thing but something that was based off of it i don't know of any thing that this is affected i mean how could i mean at the same time it's like how 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 would you expect murders to be affected by the popular culture yeah exactly yeah it's a it's a category where this one's gonna suffer yeah so this this got a one i i gave it a 0.5 for impact on pop culture i just don't (laughs) think there really has been any impact on Mm -hmm. it and uh, i mean it's from another country so it wouldn't particularly be of importance in america um, mm-hmm. And there's other crazy mass murders or murder events in American history that are just as strange as this one, too. So what then did your total add up to? We end up with a 16. At a 16.35. <laughs> oh my God. That puts the Hinterkaifeck murders in the rubric of power culminating to a 16.18 rounded up. 16.18. My God. This is our highest scoring event. This is our second highest anything else. Our highest event was... Um, Philadelphia Experiment. Philadelphia. And that was like a 15? Uh-huh. So this is second to Santa Claus. Yep. Oof. <laughs> Telling you, the, the aggressive stuff gets higher scores. It does. This is, and this is in the books as aggressive. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So, after dealing with these gruesome murders, we want to wash ourselves of 
for entertainment purposes. <laughs> this was just a theory into entertainment. If you want to talk more about those theories and maybe give us uh, more clues or maybe you've solved the, the, the murders, you can message us at Cracking Curios on Twitter. When you can make sure you hashtag it with Crack Cryptids. Maybe include at Dan Aykroyd in there as well. Because oh God, that's going to confuse him. <laughs> I mean, he's into all that kind of stuff. He calls himself <laughs> the, the an murders. <laughs> you know, unsolved murders, oh. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> we are also on Instagram at Cracking Cryptids. You can send us an email, crackingcryptids and curios at gmail.com. And make sure if you're not subscribed to us on any podcast platform, please do so. We're on Amazon, Stitcher, Audible, Podbean, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Apple, iTunes, all of those fun things. You can also find us on crackingcryptidsandcurios.podbean.com for our official uh, page. And as always, <laughs> toodles. This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production. Moon beam 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 moon beam 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 beam